0: Welcome to Envision from the United Way of Greater Charlottesville and News Radio 98.9 and 1070 AM WINA. Price Thomas and Ravi Respeto coming to you right here in downtown Charlottesville. I want to thank sponsor Ty Cooper and Lifeview Marketing and Visuals. And with that, Price.
1: So another Thursday morning here. Uh, we We are back in the studio and on the line with us we have Dr. Andrea Douglas, the executive director of the Jefferson School African American Heritage Center. How are you this morning?
2: I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having me on.
1: Absolutely, we're, we're excited you, you're taking the time for us. So we'll get started here, and just for those who have been either not in Charlottesville or I guess just not really paying attention, um, give them a, a little bit of the the Sparknotes version of your background, uh, you know, who you, a little bit of who you are and, and the work that you do here in town.
2: Sure. Um, well, I am a, the executive director, as you said. I started with the Heritage Center um, pretty early on in the project. In 2007, and at that time, I was the curator of collections and exhibitions at the University's Art Museum, which is now known as the Fralin. Um, I came on the project because, I, I guess, of my particular expertise in um, African American history and culture. Um, I my Ph.D. is around um, artists of the 20th century, and um, I do also. Um, modern theory. So I think about culture and and communities and people, um, and with respect to their cultural practice. And so um, at the Heritage Center, we define ourselves as an arts and cultural center. We have um, a contemporary gallery where we do exhibitions uh, four times a year. We have a permanent installation called Pride Overcomes Prejudice, which really describes the history of the school and. Um, the sort of history of African-Americans in our local area. Overall, the program wants to describe the cultural practice and contributions of black people um, across the diaspora, so um, locally, nationally, and and often globally. Um, And we do that from an interdisciplinary point of view. So if you come to the Heritage Center, your experience is supposed to be cumulative, that a lecture is informed by the history that we tell in our galleries. It's also informed by the contemporary um, program and largely even by the theater productions that we produce. Mm. Um, So, you know, one time at the Heritage Center is just really not enough. You need to come back often in order to understand what the scope of the presence of black people in our uh, community looks like and in our world.
0: So Andrea, I'm just and, um, curious about that. So you have, mm-hmm. an, you have sort of I, an, an interesting background. I know you were, um, I think you were brought up in New York City and, and your family's Jamaican. How, how did mm-hmm. that shape your cultural experience and sort of interest in almost the anthropology of the culture around yes. African-American history?
2: Well, um, yeah, I am Jamaican, and I came to this country very young. And um, my father um, and uh, my family, Um, generally, political people. Um, My dad was one of the early members of Jamaica's um, PNP party, and so I was surrounded, um, growing up by that kind of politics. Mm -hmm. Um, I lived in a community where, um, everyone on my street was from the West Indies, and so really, to be honest, my only Real interaction with black American culture was when I was not in my basic community. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my father um, decided that um, the school system in our area wasn't one um, that he wanted us to go to, so I was bused into um, a community known as Bayside Queens, um, which is an all-white, mostly Jewish community, Um, And I and several of the black children who went to school with me, we were all bused Mm -hmm. about an hour and maybe almost two hours sometimes when the bus didn't come um, to get to school um, from the third grade till when I graduated from high school. And so the space of of feeling like um, an other in Mm -hmm. multiple spaces is kind of how I live my life. Um, my my, I, I made art very early on, so that was also another space of, of difference from most of the people that I um, grew up with. Although we grew up in a pretty culturally determined house, meaning um, my dad was involved with an art center, and so we were in, involved in an art center, and so um, the idea of you know. I spent most of my time telling him I would never participate in the things that he was interested in.
0: That's normal. And here I am <laughs> doing today
2: it, doing everything <laughs> that he was interested in. Yeah. Um, and so it's a kind of an interesting uh, space to be sitting in. But I imagine now, as I sit here and reflect on it, I, it was meant to be. So yeah.
0: It's actually hopeful for me. I have an 18 year old who's now trying to do everything that I think she shouldn't, and I think that's part of the growing up <laughs> process, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's just he was, he was a very intense person, right? He felt things deeply, yeah. and I was trying not to be that intense. And, um, you know, I'm a true introvert, and he was not, and no one else in my family is as introverted, I think, as me. Yeah. Um, even my sister, who only reads books, has more sort of public desire than I do. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's that's also part of it, you know, that sort of general personality. and um, But I think, you know, he had a lot of conviction and belief, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what I inherited, because everything I think I... I I engage, and I hope at least I engage in it fully. Yeah. Well, and so now you—I was going to say now spirit. you
0: symbolize, right? Sort of a lot of what our African American culture is here in Charlottesville, because you lead so much of those, you know, exhibits and programs and initiatives.
2: Well, we—well, as I say, we try, yeah. right? We—we, we, I, you know, when you are at the Jefferson Center School. What you really know, if you know this history, is you've inherited a legacy. Mm-hmm. And so I feel a great responsibility mm-hmm. to continue the 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 ambitions of the people who went to school here. Mm-hmm. And those ambitions are evident in every aspect of that history. And so if you aren't stepping up to the plate every single day, at least in my mind, you're letting those people down. Mm-hmm. Um, I am often telling people it is it is remarkable, but not unexpected, mm. that people in this community come out of enslavement, and within 30 years have developed the kind of community that they develop, and that it's taking a uh, violent act of removal to, um, to 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 squelch. And as we sit today, and we start to look at how people are striving to bring that back. Um, there's a general spirit here um, that that is um, long existing in this community that needs to be um, highlighted um, and represented and, and, and supported in every single way that we can. And so, you know, I feel a, a deep conviction to that because I know these stories so well.
0: Well, you just kind of gave the, the reason for why this program exists. <laughs> we also feel that <laughs> conviction and want to tell those stories and, and lift that up. So... Um, so, a lot of gratitude to you for your work. Um, I, I'm actually going to turn it to you, Price, but we have, an, we have mm-hmm. a question about Mayor Walker in a recent interview you did.
1: I have, I, I do, and I'm going to get there, but <laughs> yeah. I, I, you brought up something. And for those of you guys who just joined us, you're listening to Envision from the United Way of Greater Charlottesville, News Radio 989, 1070 AMWINA, with. The great Dr. Andrew Douglas with us. I do. I, I'm good. We're going to get to your Mayor Walker interview real quick, but the, so you said mm-hmm. something that I thought was very interesting. You mentioned you're from what you called a culturally determined household. And mm-hmm. I think that, mm-hmm. I, well, I want to dig into that only a little bit because my own experience sort of mirrors that where mm-hmm. your school experience, much of your kind of socialization growing up is in very white spaces, and that's done for the quote-unquote good of your education, right? That's mm-hmm. a decision that your parents made that was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, arguably better for you educationally, but... Mm-hmm. Culturally and socioculturally, kind of, how is there, how does that work? And that's not really a great question, but I'm thinking about the pressure that puts on your parents, your your siblings, your kind of family unit to preserve the culture, to, to you know, instill in you, you know, kind of, you know, what is important about your upbringing, your heritage, and your history. And, and, I mean, I think for kids nowadays... Uh, you know, I mean, how, how do you think about that as through your work through this Cultural Heritage Center that maybe sometimes for some of these kids who are in situations like you were in, like I were in, that might be some of the only, right, like cultural anchoring they have?
2: Yeah, and and that's, again, part of why we do what we do at the Heritage Center. I mean, I think of my own son, right? I have a, And he's going to hate that I talk about him in public, but, <laughs> you know, when you ask yourself the question, why are you doing the job that you do? Right. These these sort of personal stories, you know, when when the Heritage Center opened, there was nothing like it mm-hmm. here, right? Mm-hmm. There were people certainly engaged in in cultural practice, but re- what but decidedly concerned with the histories and practices and social lives of Black people, there was nothing here. Mm-hmm. But the you know things were happening in churches yep. largely, mm-hmm. and things were happening. Um, you know, uh, trans, transiently. You know, you know, you got a a play by about black people. You know, once every ten years. Um, <laughs> being in the in the in the museum, I know how often we did African American exhibitions. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, when I got there, I knew what the exhibition, the the collection of ex- African American art looked like. Mm-hmm. Right. So. To to, to easily find that culture, and and, and I say, again, when I talk about the importance of the Jefferson School, nobody in this town who was alive in the 1950s or 60s, for instance, is going to tell you that there was a band better than the Jefferson School band and then the Burley High School band, right? Nobody's going to talk to you and tell you that the Charlottesville Players Guild didn't do um, uh, both classical works and contemporary works. so the the, the cultural space that this, this school occupied for the community was was considerable. And so when I got here, um, and I got here, you know, in the 90s, and i from New York, and I was like, where the hell have I dropped down <laughs> into? <anxious?" Right? laughs> I came in with my St. Vincent boyfriend, you know, yeah, real yeah. West Indian people, and he was like, we haven't unpacked the car yet. Let's go. <laughs> I don't even have anywhere to eat. Exactly. And when we did go to eat, we went to a place where the racism was thick. You know like The waitress said to me, get what you need now because I'm not coming back. And this is 1990-something, wow. right? So this place was really scary Goodness. for for me in that yeah. kind of way because I had, like, moved all the chips in. I came to study with mm-hmm. the African-American historian at the time. Um, mm-hmm. I was not going back to New York until we finished that, although I planned on going back to New York. Mm-hmm. And um, so so when I thought about raising a child here... Mm-hmm. Um, that was the other reason why the Heritage Center was so important to me. Because how could I anchor him?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: How could I give him something that he could look around in um, his in this environment and and see himself even marginally? Mm-hmm. Because at the time it would have been difficult. And what I do know is that most Black people at the time were leaving Charlottesville to find themselves and willing to drive all the way to North Carolina to go to a concert, or to D.C., or anywhere but here, Mm. because there was nothing here. Mm. Um, And so I wanted to try and create the kind of experience that I had growing up, because when I say culturally determined, and when I I literally mean that not until I left my house to go to school, we didn't talk to American people, Mm. to be honest. Right when I was growing up, to be honest, there was no one on my street who was American. The people I played with for most of my life when I was doing that kind of thing because I wasn't doing that much because my father was like, You're going to go study that book. Mm-hmm. You don't play. America, right.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, and the, the, the relationships that they had were long standing relationships from Jamaica. So any party that I went to, mm-hmm. Jamaican people. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, and I, I don't say that to be like, oh, you know, I lived in a box. I did. I ran track. I did all of those things. My rebellion was to try and get away from those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I started school early. I skipped a grade. I was already living in a space of, of, of not like anybody else mm-hmm. anyway. So doing the work that I even do, you know, I started my life, my my sort of education on my way to medical school until I was like, nah, I'm going to be an art historian. <laughs> wow. So, you know, um, so, so that's why when I think about what, you know, our first year, we counted the number of exhibitions in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. Went through a list, 100 and some, back when Charlottesville had a, a pretty vibrant um, visual culture here. Um, it has one, but not as what, m- much eight years ago. We counted all those exhibitions. Four of those exhibitions concentrated on the work of black people.
1: Four out of now, over 100?
2: Uh-huh. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. Yeah, so you couldn't see it. It wasn't here.
1: And you had to know where to and, look, and, too.
2: Right, right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, people talk to me about music, and they would say, uh, the music is Americana. Well, Americana meant not, no rap.
3: Right. You could
2: get the temptation. (laughs) A lot of earth You could get the temptation, but you, yeah, but you, but you sure wasn't going to, you know, a, you know, you go to, in the beginning, when I first got here, you go to a black movie. They only stayed in the town one week Mm -hmm. and there was always some sense of extra policing going on Mm. in the movie theater because black people might be congregating and who knows what would be happening there. So that's what it was like. You know, and so um, when when we first started, we started out robustly with events, mm. largely because our our exhibition wasn't ready, ready yet, but mostly because we really wanted to be the space where Black people could come and see themselves mm. and be themselves, and that's really important—the be themselves part.
0: Andrew, can I ask a follow up? Because you and I have had this conversation mm-hmm. more than once—that like you created this space with all that intention, and yet. Primarily, your membership is white right mhm how do you yeah. how do you like kind of manage that or or think about that?
2: Well, you know it's primarily white, but when you think about our public programs, mm-hmm. that's not the demographic so yeah. you know when you look around at Green's cookoff, it's not primarily mm-hmm. white. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at Juneteenth, it's not primarily white. Mm-hmm. Kwanzaa's is not primarily white. it's just that we live in a space that is eighty percent white yeah. Um, that the kind of work that we produce, um, a liberal mind wants to be as diverse as it can be.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, we work as hard as we can to create no barriers to our programming, meaning it costs very little yeah. to do almost nothing, to do anything there. And that is with the clear intent of, of making sure that uh, black people have the capacity to participate. But when you really think about the lives of black people in this community, um, the Heritage Center is, is, is appreciated by them. Um, they expect their children to participate in some of our programs, meaning learning from us. But people are at work, you know, and when they're not at work, they want to be doing something different. And I understand that clearly. Um, but at the same time, the things that we do do that we decidedly um, do because we want to see um, our community, um, we are well attended by that. Yeah. And so I feel while I wish it were different in, I while I wish it was always filled to capacity with black folk, I understand why. Um, and it is the nature of the beast, you know, when we look at our demographics or the industry demographics for the work and the kind of work we do, we actually look like every other
1: institution,
2: mm-hmm.
1: there. Yeah, you know that makes sense. So the we got a couple minutes left, and I do want to get into the mm-hmm. interview, the, uh, the 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 long and in depth interview you did with Mayor Walker. We're going to scratch the surface of this, mm-hmm. but uh, I was reading it, and I, I pull you know obviously it was incredibly well done. You asked a lot of great stuff, but one stuck out to me, which I think mm-hmm. is a I'm very interested in your answer. You asked her what does an equitable Charlottesville look like to you? And so I would I would pitch that mm-hmm. same question to you. Uh, you know, what does in your, you know, from your personal experience and from your vast professional experience, what does an equitable Charlottesville look like for you?
2: That is a really hard question. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yep, That's and you, I'd say you've got exactly 95 <laughs> seconds to tie it all together.
2: <laughs> well, all right, <laughs> you know, pressure. look. When I go back to to the ethos here, when we started here, we already were speaking the language of equity because there is something known as cultural equity, mm. and it is the preservation of a culture and the demonstration and participation in a culture. And I think that one of the things that is Charlottesville's problem, for me anyway, is the undervaluing of the African American um, uh, community here. And the way in which that community has been kept in poverty, mm-hmm. purposefully, mm-hmm. and the way that it is that the 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 inability for that community to come out of poverty because of the continued um, uh, interest in um, in in service-based industry. Right. Mm-hmm. This is a service mm-hmm. community.
3: Yeah.
2: right? You've got a very small top tier, but you have a very wide base of people who serve. Right? And as I think about the kinds of jobs that people did when they left um, enslavement and moved into Reconstruction and then Jim Crow, many people in this town are still doing those mm-hmm. kinds of jobs. And the wages have not um, kept up with the demand um, with the economic uh, 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 demand in this community, sure,
3: sure.
2: which is to say, it has not kept up anywhere in this country. If you live, if you work in a service industry, you are largely underpaid. Mm-hmm. The other piece of this, and you know, Bobby and I are in the nonprofit industry, but there's a huge nonprofit uh, industry here that is almost like the secondary thing, mm-hmm. right? And that, even though it it creates so much um, space, economic space, it still is about serving the underserved, right? Mm -hmm. So for that industry to maintain itself, you've got to keep a a kind of a a sense of poverty in and of itself, too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So 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 so. it is. It is really. You know why I have. I have talked to Mayor Walker for since she started um, her her thinking about running. Um, and why I appreciate her the most is because she's at least the most honest about that fact. Sure. And yeah. demands better for people, and not just black people. She is certainly an advocate of that. But she demands better for. All people who are um, impoverished Mm -hmm. right and so she's pushing against a system that you know historically has not responded appropriately um, to this huge um, wealth gap that we have here Mm. Um, and so an equitable city to me is a city that recognizes its faults knows that it is at fault and works as hard as it can to do better than that Mm. And that's not what we're what we're experiencing I don't think in every aspect of of where we live and the the kind of pushback that she has gotten and others have gotten for trying to create that equitable space is not surprising to me given what I described when I first got here
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, sure. but the notion that we sh- that, that, that that we should be normalizing that space and that we should that that that, that, that this And I don't want to use all this language because buzzwords like discomfort is now a buzzword. But the (laughs) the ease of it, you know, nothing that's worth having, we all know, comes easily. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to get it.
3: Yeah. Right? Right. You know,
2: everybody wants to thrive. Nobody wants to be poor. This is not a model of deficit
3: mm-hmm. for me
2: to survive does not mean you have to lose mm-hmm. it just means that you have to understand that I am NOT surviving and help me do better than that mm. right
0: mm. well you're actually you're hitting on you know the whole sort of direction trajectory of you know in a way it's like how do we walk with people to help them achieve to your point that financial stability where they're not in service level positions and they don't need these organizations anymore to kind of stand by them and walk with them right they've got They've achieved that opportunity for themselves and their family,
2: right? But but again, when you but but, but that's one level. Yeah. But when you look at what the kinds of industry that we're developing and continue to develop, do mm-hmm. we? You know, we're we're building hotels. <laughs> yep. We're building work on large, yeah, large, large, large buildings for people to, to live in, right? But we're not. In, we when was, you know the banks that show up are these small banks. Yeah. That are far out in places,
3: mm.
2: right? So, if you're not creating a more diverse economic space, is an economic so space agreed. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That 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 you know, you can you can You're not connecting the um, dots. <laughs> agreed. Well, you, well you're loading too much you're, we're being loaded in one area and not in another. And yeah. that's no criticism. I'm not pointing fingers, I'm just No, it's an observation. What, it is what it is. What, yeah, Right. It's an you observation, know? So, yeah. So, so we keep talking about, um, you know, uh, uh, public housing and, and, and those kinds of things, but on the other side of it, how are we diversifying the employment base so that people um, are not in service industries, that they have another option? Um, I know that that is a very, very uh, competitive space. I know that, you know, the city has tried to develop its its corridors, um, so there's a tech corridor it's trying to develop. We need to be thinking about those kinds of things because as long as we are a service industry-based um, community, we will have a, a wide gap. Now, Agreed. why do you – I ask the question, why is it, for instance, that we have such a huge education gap? What's going on there, mm. Right. There are those sort of ancillary um, questions to be asked, and I don't pretend to have a solution. At the Heritage Center, we, you know, we do teacher training because we want our t- teachers to understand the students that they um, are, are working with. We are moving into um, music training because um, we're looking for opportunities to help to... Um, to, to to lessen that education gap by really sort of focusing and creating another space for music education other than uh, schools, mm. um, these are the kinds of things that we're we're attempting to do to 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 help to broaden that scope. Um, but again, um, it's not easy work, and it's, there's no overnight solution to any of it, um, and so. Charlottesville's refusal to understand that, in some ways, is, is 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 difficult for me to understand.
1: I don't. I have a hard time with that. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: And we are gonna bring you back to discuss that more next time because we are out of time, but big thanks to Dr. Andrew Douglas. If you have ideas for the show, want to get in touch with us, check us out on social media on all platforms at United Way Seaville or drop us a note at envision at unitedwayseaville.org. To learn more about Dr. Douglas, the work of the Jefferson School African American Heritage Center, check them out online, org, and make sure that you either visit them or make sure you follow them on social media, Facebook, Twitter at JSAAHC and on Instagram at Seaville Jeff School. For Robbie Respeto, this is Bryce Thomas. We will see you guys next week.